Well, I am um, almost always fashionably late to these sorts of parties, but uh, probably given the fact that Kendall has been talking so much about podcasts, podcasts this, podcasts that, uh, in his preaching and in our conversations, I love, love that uh, brother so much, but uh, the podcast talk, man. Anyways, I, um, I, I was looking at, it's not just him, it's all, every person who's like 10 years younger than me is obsessed with podcasts. Uh, but I was looking at the top 10 uh, podcasts on Apple uh, just recently, and I, I found one that just, it caught my attention. And it caught my attention because the title is so simple, straightforward, and descriptive that I thought, well, I've got to subscribe to that. It's simply called Stuff You Should Know. I thought, well, there's probably something I can learn uh, in that podcast. I'll go ahead and subscribe. Stuff You Should Know. Now, I can recommend that podcast to you. It's certainly entertaining. Uh, but after listening to a couple of the episodes, one on um, mass hysteria in Cuba and another on an unsolved mystery from the 1940s in West Virginia, I, I started scratching my head and going, why on earth do I need to know this stuff? Why is this stuff that I should know? Entertaining, but I don't, not life-changing. And I'm fearful that as we make our way into 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21, and we do so under the title, Stuff You Should Know, that some of you are going to be hesitant to, to really engage, wondering, why do I need to know this stuff? For some of us, it's just that impulse that we have that Christianity is about doing. And so when you hear this is stuff that you should know, we sort of check out. But understand this, that we act on what we know. You don't do anything apart from what you know. And as we read this passage, you may have caught over and over again, John uses the word know. Time and time again, John just gives us what almost at first blush looks like a junk drawer of stuff that you should know. And the reason that it's so important for you and I to know this stuff is that there's something unsettling about uncertainty, something that shakes our confidence. Let me remind you of the context of 1 John. These people, these Christians to whom John is writing, are plagued by people who are not only deserters but deceivers. That's the key. They are deserters. And deceivers. They are deserters, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, because they went out from us, John writes. They were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. They've left. They're deserters. But they're also deceivers, 1 John 2, 26. I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. These are people who have left the church not to go to the evangelical church down the street, but to start their own, if you'd like, denomination where they would teach false things about Jesus, false things about what it means to follow him. And when you see that happening all around you, there's something that shakes your confidence. Have I gotten hold of the real deal? Maybe I need to abandon this place of worship that I've called home and abandon the beliefs that I've held to for some time and go along with them. No, there's some stuff that you need to know. And John tells us in this passage very simply that believers in the name of the Son of God should know 
that they have eternal life so that they can know and live with confidence in its blessings. If you want to live a life of Christian confidence, this is the stuff that you should know. There are five things in this text that we should know, that John just puts forward. you got to know this. I'm going to give them to you right off of the, the top so you can follow along and sort of track with me as we go. Now, each and every one of these, I want to I just say this, each and every one of these could have its own podcast, or if you'd like, its own sermon for our purposes. Uh, but we're going to just kind of go through all five of them this morning. And if you have a Bible open, you should be able to see plainly, plainly, of where these things are coming from. Five things that you should know if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. Number one, you should know that you have eternal life. Verse 13, couldn't be simpler. Write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Number two, stuff you should know, that you have the requests you ask of God. Verses 14 to 17. You have the requests you ask of God. Number three, that you are protected from sinning. We're going to make sense of that when we get to that part of the passage. Verse 18, you are protected from sinning. Number four, that you are from God. Verse 19. Again, these are all just coming right from the passage. And number five, that you have been given understanding to know the true God by Jesus. Verses 20 and 21. Stuff you should know. Number one, that you have eternal life. Again, verse 13. Look down at the, the text with me. What does John write? This friend of Jesus, this follower of Jesus, one of the apostles, authoritative messenger of Jesus. He writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the theme of the entire letter. This entire book of the Bible is given to the people of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. Let's just state the obvious. It is possible to know with confidence that you have eternal life. Now, some of us might sort of uh, react to that because if we're honest, this is Newcastle. Many of us have grown up Roman Catholic where we were taught that you can't know. You might be able to know that you've got some sort of present grace, but anything for the future is kind of up in the air. You can have a hope, but can you know? And this is where the Reformation is so profoundly helpful because the heartbeat of the Reformation is what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say about knowing we have eternal life? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you can know, that you may know, have assurance that you have eternal life. Now, what are these things, John? When we teach uh, young guys to preach, we use the Simeon Trust, so this is not original to me, but there's something that we call the melodic line. If you listen to a song, there's a melody that comes along over and over again. You can hear one little bit of a song and know what song it is because of the melody within it. And the melody of 1 John here, this assurance that he wants us to give, is this threefold test. This is what, what I need to, to evaluate to know that I have eternal life. The three, all three important, all three related. Number one, do I have a right understanding of who Jesus is as 
fully God and fully human, come to save his people from their sins. Is that the Jesus that I understand to be taught in the pages of the New Testament? Not only do I understand that that is the Jesus presented in the New Testament, but do I believe in, do I trust in that Jesus? Well, let me tell you, if you do, here's the second test. It will flow naturally. Where before you lived a life of disobedience to God and disregard for his laws, suddenly you will find, as John teaches, everyone who has been born of God practices righteousness. In other words, you begin to care about obeying Jesus. If you have a desire to obey, that's a great sign. Especially in regards to, here's the third test. Again, they're all related, all important, all related. Obeying in the realm of loving other Christians. Loving our brothers and sisters. John says, man, if you understand the truth about Jesus, you believe it, and you believe it in such a way that it transforms your life so that you now live a life of obedience to Jesus and love for other Christians, you can know that you have eternal life. It may have felt like at times through our series in 1 John that John was writing to convince unbelieving people that they were unbelieving, but that's not the case. He's writing to Christian people so that they have assurance of their salvation. And brother or sister, let me tell you this morning, it is possible, it is entirely possible to be a Christian and yet doubt whether or not you actually have eternal life. But that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to not only be a Christian, but to know that you are a Christian. This is grace upon grace. One of the Puritan writers, Thomas Brooks, writes in his book, Heaven on Earth, to have grace, that is to be a Christian, and to be sure that we have grace is glory upon the throne. It is heaven on this side of heaven. God wants you to have heaven on this side of heaven. He wants you to know that you have eternal life and you can know and you should know. Number one, believer in Jesus, that you have eternal life. Number two, that you have the requests you ask of God, verses 14 to 17. You know that we have eternal life and know that when we pray, God hears us. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Whatever you ask, according to his will, you will be given. You need to know that. You should know that. Because if you know that, you will be unleashed in prayer absolutely unleashed what is prayer some of us have mistakenly begun to view prayer as twisting god's arm to get what we want out of him when in actual fact prayer is bending our knees to receive what he wants for us it is not twisting his arm to get what we want from him it is bending our knees to receive what he wants for us. This promise is 
without exception, anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, let me tell you something. This is, I have not done this. I'm not going to do this, but I can guarantee that this is what would happen. If I were to say, go home today and say to Henry, I will give you anything that you ask of me. As long as it's something that I want for you. And not only that, but I'm going to write out all of the things that I want for you so that you can be sure by cross-referencing that list that you're asking according to my will. The sun wouldn't go down before that thing was memorized. What does it mean to say that if I ask anything according to his will, he hears me? This is a glorious unleashing of the Christian in prayer. Number one, to know as much of God's will as he has revealed. Because brother or sister, God has done that for us. That's what this book is. It is God's living word that shows us his desire for his people. I was so struck by this this week as I felt the force of God hearing my prayers when I ask according to his will and the potency that's involved when in my Bible reading this week, I came across 1 Thessalonians 3, for this is the will of God for your life in Christ Jesus, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you learns to control his own body, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is God's will for you, Mike. Lord, you've promised in your word to give me anything that I ask according to your will. Lord, help me to remain and to continue on in sexual purity. See, knowing this, unleashes us to know as much of God's will as, as he has revealed and then to pray that will back to him. We're going to do a series in Judges, the Old Testament book of Judges after 1 John's will begin next week. And it's a long Old Testament book, so I've got two, two breaks planned. Number one is Ascension Day, which is 40 days after the resurrection. We're going to have a sermon on the ascension of Jesus. And then secondly, we're going to do a series on God's will for your life. We're going to just make it as clear and plain as can be because the new testament tells us this is the will of god over and over again john chapter 6 first thessalonians chapter 3 first peter chapter 2 we're going to look at god's will for us but the, the the point is know god's will pray god's will and be confident in god's will anything that we ask according to his will he hears us you should know that now there's an illustration here in the passage in verses 16 and 17 that we're not going to spend too much time on, but understand this whole deal of a, a sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't lead to, to death is John, as a wise pastor, taking this principle. If we ask according to his will, he will hear, hear an answer, and if we ask not according to his will, he will not answer, and he applies it directly to their situation. You've got people who are deserting and deceiving. People who have heard in the assembly, the good news about Jesus Christ, who have seen the powerful impact that belief in Jesus makes in a man or a woman, they've seen it, they've heard it, and they've rejected it to the point that they've begun to teach Jesus wasn't fully God and fully human, he just appeared to be human. That they began to teach, it doesn't really matter how you live, sin doesn't really affect you. And in their arrogance, they refuse to love the brothers and sisters. They fail every test of John. 
And in so doing, John says they've committed the sin unto death. You pray for a wandering brother or sister, sinning a sin not leading to death. There's a promise. God will restore them to repentance and give them life. If, if a, 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 a pseudo-Christian who's not really ever been a believer wanders away and rejects Jesus fully and finally, that is the sin unto death. And John says, I'm not going to tell you to pray for that. Some of you are going to be unsettled even hearing that that's the case. Let me tell you just pastorally that if you're worried that you've committed the sin unto death, it's proof enough that you haven't. But I want to speak pastorally to another group of people. Because I'm going to tell you, you are on my heart so heavily as of late. Because you are dangerously close, and I mean dangerously, to committing this sin. And what I'm talking about is a person, uh, you know who you are, and in many cases, I know who you are, that comes week in and week out and sits under the proclamation of God's word. We preach God's word. We preach the gospel. We do not preach what people want to hear. We preach what God tells us to preach. It doesn't matter if it's me or Kendall or Johnny or Scott or Jeremy or whoever. You know you know the truth of the gospel. You know who Jesus is. You know what he's come to do. And you walk out of here and you say, I'll repent tomorrow. You are so dangerously close. You think you can repent tomorrow, and I'm telling you, you can't. You better repent today. You better believe now. Proverbs 29 was on my Bible reading schedule this morning. Here's verse 1, Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. I'm telling you this because I love you. Some of you are dangerously close being broken beyond healing. I was an English major at one point at Kent. I had to read Dr. Faustus by Marlowe. Dr. Faustus, a wicked man. At some point in his speech, he says, my heart is so hard that I cannot repent. Do not sit under the preaching of the word week in and week out and leave here unchanged. I'm telling you, you are playing with fire. I pray for you that you haven't committed the sin unto death, that you believe even now. Number two, you have to know that you have the requests you ask of God. Number three, you have to know, brother or sister in Christ, that you are protected from sinning. Verse 18, look at this. We know, there it is, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You need to know that you are protected from sinning. Now, I do not mean sinning uh, entirely, but sinning habitually. This is what John says in chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's the key. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. That's the key. Because he has been born of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here, I'm not going to pull any punches. You will have a holy hatred of sin. 
you should hate your sin. If you are a Christian, you will not be content to live in sin. In 1 John 3, verse 9, he tells us that the Holy Spirit himself disrupts that pattern, convicts our hearts of our sin, leads us to repentance. You can't keep on habitually without remorse or repentance. You can't keep on sinning. But here the promise of protection from sinning has everything to do with he who was born of God. Look at verse 18 again. Everyone who has been born of God, that is the believer who has been born again by God's spirit, does not keep on sinning. Why? He who was born of God, that is Jesus, second person of the Trinity, made human, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. I didn't grow up with an older brother, but there's a beautiful picture here of, of an older brother. My parents had a, a son uh, who passed away before I was born, 18, killed by a drunk driver. I never had an older brother of my own, but I had some, you know, sort of adopted older brothers. You might be surprised to hear this, but when I was a teenager, my mouth wrote checks that my fists couldn't cash <laughs> all the time. Let me tell you, if my friends were in a sticky situation, it was my fault because I like to talk, if you hadn't noticed. My mouth constantly wrote checks that my fist couldn't catch, but I had one friend whose older brother, Chad, was always around. And when he was around, my mouth would move a little faster, a little freer, a little looser, because I knew, I knew. Chad's there. Chad's got our back. It doesn't matter who we're around. Chad's with us. Man, I've got some confidence here of protection. He might not have been my older brother, but he was my older brother. You see what I mean? What is John telling us? He's telling us that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have an older brother who protects you. That's why we sang in that wonderful hymn right before I got up, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast, When the Tempter Would Prevail. He will hold me fast. You've got to know this. You've got to know this because the strength to cross the finish line isn't in you. You're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you had the power in yourself to keep yourself from sin. You're going to hear that because of 1 John 3, 9, the Holy Spirit at work in you. And you're going to hear that, chapter 5, verse 18, because you know that you have an older brother who's going to protect you and hold you fast all the way to the end. You've got to know this. Do not despair of wandering finally and fully away from Jesus. Your older brother loves you too much to allow that to happen. The evil one, John says, does not touch him. That is, does not harass him, does not enslave him. Speaking of that, number four, this is all stuff you should know. You should know that you are from God, verse 19. Isn't that what John says? We know that we are from God. You should know that you are from God. If you follow Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are from God. That is your identity. No one else can tell you who you are. You are from God. You are of God. John continues, we, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the grip of the evil one, the powerful, 
grip of the evil one. So knowing who we are involves the realization that no matter where you go, this side of heaven, you are at an away game. A couple of, over a year ago now, uh, Tim Murphy, I don't know if Tim's around, but um, Tim took me to a Pittsburgh Pirates game. Now, I'm not much of a baseball fan, but I do love me the St. Louis Cardinals. And I love them because my dad, the first baseball game he ever went to was a Cards game. He saw Stan Musial play. This was a long time ago. But as far as National League goes, guys, I'm sorry, it's, it's the Cardinals. So Tim and I went to a Pirates and Cardinals game. The very first thing I did, this is how stupid I am. Again, I write checks I can't cash. The very first thing I did was I went to the team shop and I bought a Cardinals hat and I put it on. First pitch hadn't even been thrown yet. And I'm sitting down, I, you, you look around, and you're just engulfed in black and yellow, no, no matter what sporting event you go to around here. And there I am, sticking out like a bright red sore thumb with a Cardinals hat. Was that an away game? And what John tells us is that every time we step outside of our front door in this world, we are at an away game because... Being from God, we also understand that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now listen, John did not write this to awaken in you the basest instincts of your heart. And what I mean by that is it's time for us to be through with the constant condemnation of those who are in the grip of Satan by the church. Stop. With the world this, the world that, the world the other thing. Understand, the reason the people in your office do the things that they do is that they're enslaved. The reason that your family members say the things that they say is that they're enslaved. And they have a massive, massive case of Stockholm Syndrome. Do you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? Stockholm Syndrome is seen very often in the case of those who've been abused or those who have been prisoners of war, taken captive. It is when a person's heart becomes inclined towards their captor or their abuser. Ever since Genesis 3, those outside of Jesus have been captivated by Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, chapter 1, or verse 1. And they've got Stockholm Syndrome because they've begun to love sin and unrighteousness and opposing Jesus. They're enslaved and entrapped. No, John tells us who we are and who the world is so that, one, here's the practicality, if I know that I am from God, I have all of the ammunition of soul that I need to battle worldliness in my heart. The problem isn't out there. It's in here. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. Chapter 2, verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Knowing who I am allows me, empowers me to say no to worldliness in my own heart. And it gives me purpose. When I'm out of that away game, start passing around Cardinals hats. I'm not going to convince you to become a Cards fan by reminding you of the Pirates' record over the last decade. I'm going to convince you because I'm going to tell you about how much better it is. It's better. Jesus is better. Jesus in his high priestly prayer prays that we would be in the world yet not of the world. That it would be our purpose as we go out into the away game to see more people wearing our hats by the time we leave than when we entered. Know who you are. You've got to know this. You are of God. You are from God. You are not from the world. So battle worldliness in your own hearts and save those through preaching Jesus, the only Savior of sinners. Proclaim Jesus bring folks out of the world and into his kingdom. Number five, the final thing. You have to know, this is stuff you should know, that you have been given understanding to know the true God through Jesus. That's verses 20 and 21. You have been given understanding to know the true God through Jesus. Look at 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. The Son of God has come, fully God and fully human, not only to live in our place, die in our place, and rise in our place, but to give us understanding. Here's the folly of constantly berating the world for being entrapped by the evil one is that if it weren't for the Son of God giving us understanding, we would still be entrapped. We're not in Jesus because of our superior intellect or our religious inclinations. We're in Jesus because, according to John, he has given us understanding that we otherwise would not have. Only Jesus can give us the understanding necessary to know the true God. I have to remind myself of this over and over again. I'll give you an example. Even yesterday, I was driving to Akron, taking Kelly and Henry to see uh, our in-laws, my in-laws, a great time. Um, this is two days ago, actually. And as we're driving, we're taking the opportunity to talk about the gospel. Henry's made a profession of faith, and we want to just continue to hammer away at that. And um, we were talking about what it means to trust in Jesus. And Henry says, well, you know, Dad, I'm just, I'm struggling to know what that means. I don't understand what that means. And so here comes Pastor Dad. Yeah. I'm a Baptist, right? I had three points in a poem, but I tanked that for just one illustration. And I said, Henry, you know, son, when you get out of the shower, because you take showers now, um, there's like a rack that we, or a hook that we hang his towel on, and he'll get out of the shower, and he can't, he can't reach high enough to pull the towel down. He'll pull the whole rack down if he pulls too hard. And I said, Henry, you know how you reach and you reach and you reach and you're trying to attain that 
towel, you're trying to get that towel, but you just can't do it. And then daddy is right there and I can do it. And so I, in your place, I reach up to the height and I pull the towel down and I give it to you and I can see in his mind, he's starting to put all the pieces together that I can't reach for, for eternal life. Jesus has to bring it down to me and do it for me. He's going to stand in my place. He's starting to connect the dots. And he says, dad, you're pretty good at explaining things. <laughs> and I slipped him a dollar behind, behind the, but I have to remind myself, loved ones, listen, unless Jesus gives him the understanding, I can talk and talk and talk. Unless Jesus gives you understanding, I can talk and talk and talk. And I might as well be talking to the wall, like to dead people, which is exactly what the Bible says we are outside of Jesus. You need to know that Jesus has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. That is to say, John, to his readers, you, you have gotten hold of the real thing. You have got the real God, or better yet, the real God has gotten hold of you. Do not sway from this one. That's why we preach over and over again who this Jesus is and what he's done. And why John, at the end of this letter, the very last sentence of the letter, curious, curious sentence, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I dare you to put that as the final sentence in one of your emails this, this week. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why does he do that? You know, this is, this is funny. Um, Scott and I were laughing about this. My wife was laughing about this. As I came home for the weekend before um, Kelly and Henry, they're coming home this afternoon. And so I'm fully vaccinated, feeling fresh, feeling free. It's about time for a burrito, right? Haven't been to Chipotle in over a year. Order online, get in my car, nice summer-like evening stroll to Hermitage. And uh, I'm gonna tell you, man, I wasn't even all that impressed. <laughs> and that the weirdest thing? I, I ate this burrito, I'm like, what have I been on about for the last decade of my life? It's not, it's completely average. I'll probably go there again, but it wasn't all that great. I mean, I thought it was gonna be life-changing after a year, but um, the point is, is that uh, on my way back, I was listening to the Stuff You Should Know podcast. And they're telling a story about in 19, in the 1940s, um, there's this family in West Virginia, Italian family, and it was Christmas Eve, moving into Christmas morning, there's a massive fire in their house. And they had, this family had like 10 children over the course of 20 years, so five of their children in this fire go missing. They never find the remains in the rubble, they never, the kids never turn up, they just, they go missing. And in the story they're telling about how in the 60s then, so 20 years later or so, the mother receives this postcard in the mail, only addressed to her, no return address. And she opens it, and there's a picture um, of a young man in his mid-20s, and on the back is written the name of one of her boys, and then some other cryptic sort of material. And after they looked at it and examined it more and more, it turned out to be just this really heartless and cruel joke. Because this man looked just enough, listen, just enough 
like her lost son, to deceive her. But in the end, he was someone entirely different. Little children, John writes, keep yourselves from idols. Because the Jesus that was being offered to you looked enough, might we say, enough like the real Jesus to deceive you. But at the end of the day, he was someone completely different. Beware, John says to his readers, beware of a Jesus that is fully God but not fully human. You might say to us this morning, beware of a Jesus that is fully human but not fully God. See, none of us, I don't think, are in any danger of bowing the knee to Allah this afternoon. I would hope that most of us don't have any temptation to begin wor worshiping, you know, the myriad of Hindu gods that are represented in Hinduism. No, our, our danger is actually uh, far worse because our danger is to worship a Jesus that looks just enough like the real thing, but at the end of the day is someone completely different. Listen, you better guard yourself against a Jesus that cares more about your success than your holiness. That's not Jesus. You better be really careful about looking to a Jesus who cares more about the size of your church than the depth of your church that's not Jesus. You better be really careful about a Jesus who only tells you what you want to hear and spends his time stroking your ego rather than calling you to radical repentance and faith in him. That's not Jesus. You'd be well served to worship the Jesus that wants your allegiance to his word more than he cares about how excited you are about your experiences. It's not Jesus. Our danger, our danger is not that we would completely abandon Christ, but that we would accept a substitute. So if you want to live confidently in this Christ, look, there's some stuff you should know. Number one, you should know that you have eternal life. Number two, you should know that you have the request that you ask of him. Number three, you should know that you are protected from sinning. Number four, you should know that you are of God. And number five, you should know the Son of God has come and given you understanding so that you know the true God through Jesus, his Son. Know, brother or sister, that you have eternal life. Father, we thank you for the certainty that your word brings, for this entire book of the Bible meant to give us the assurance of salvation that we long for. We pray that we would heed your word well, that we would be grateful, ecstatic, that you would tell us these things again and again so that we would know them and be reminded of them and live in light of them. We pray that we would have confidence as we're assured of our Future, um, future inheritance with you, that we would be bold and confident in prayer, knowing that if we ask anything according to your will, you hear us, Lord. Help us to be devoted to knowing your will. We pray that you would help us to have courage in Christ to know that you will hold us fast and to, to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you. 
We pray that you would help us to know who we really are so that we can rightly battle our own sin and then go and proclaim Jesus to a world that is locked up under the the devil's um, tyrannical rule. And help us to be humble knowing that you have come to give us understanding and we would never know these things apart from you. So Lord, help us to continuously be looking to the true Jesus of the Bible and guarding ourselves from idols because, Lord, you are the true God and eternal life. We want to know that we have eternal life and that we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.